Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in every week. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as Nature N, Blood and Bone, Seaweed, Biostimulants, Manure and Feather Meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Good morning and welcome to The Garden Gurus Live. I'm Trevor Cochran. It's great to be back with you on this Monday morning. It's a pretty interesting time at the moment. We have had rain here in Perth after having a very hot, humid day yesterday. And all around the country, temperatures tend to be quite mild. In fact, um, everywhere except for Adelaide and Melbourne uh, that are expecting some sunny but cooler conditions, um, we're expecting rain in the country. So uh, in, in various degrees, we've had a fair bit of water dropped on gardens. This is good news if you want a great garden. Um, uh, and probably the only exception being for our friends up there in Darwin with 35 degrees predicted today, it's going to be warm. Maybe a thunderstorm in the late afternoon. So still rainfall. Now, of course, when you've got uh, good rain and you've got warmish conditions, you end up with great growing conditions. And that's exactly the time to be out into the garden. And so we've got a fantastic program for you today, packed full of down-to-earth gardening advice. Of course, this is your opportunity to ask questions. And um, this has been really what it's all about, is is basically getting the right advice to you. During the season, um, we have been featuring lots of different things, like maybe creating a situation where you've got a beautiful environment for native animals to actually enjoy your garden, to provide food, provide them with protection. And a little bit later on, and I'm sure you will have seen some of the Cavish and Wildlife stories that we've done in this series of The Garden Gurus, We'll be joined by Deb from Cavisham to have a little bit of a chat about why it's so important to have, uh, I suppose, to create those environments where uh, native animals, birds, you know, reptiles, uh, we did a whole bunch of things, actually, a whole bunch of things on mammals. We've created all sorts of great information as a guide, and we'll talk to Deb about that a little bit further. Um, Love the Gardens, Luke Williams is going to join us to share a little bit of a tip. They've got a new product. It's a lawn seed product, and depending on where you live in the country, it will be very helpful if you are like me and just starting to see some patches in the lawn where the winter grasses have died out now and, and that leaves, you know, patches. You want your lawn to continue growing, of course. Um, we'll talk to Luke about this new product. And, of course, my good mate, Rowan Peterson uh, from Garden Express, he's taking over from David Van Burkle this week and he's got a great Garden Express offer and they're right in the midst of a big sale as well, so I might ask him about that. We've got great prizes to give away. I can't show them to you this morning, but, of course, our packet seeds uh, for the best questions and what we really want you to do is to send through your questions with your suburb, with your state, with your suburb or town um, to give me an indication because, as, as we've talked about, 
the the situation currently out there is that uh, the the conditions are great, but they do vary dramatically across the country. So I'll try and give you the best advice I possibly can. Uh, let's get going, shall we? I think um, we'll start with uh, Michael, who's in Kilmore. He's got two passion fruit vines. Uh, what should I feed them with? Well, passion fruit right now are going to take off and start growing like crazy, so they do need food. Controlled release fertilisers are always the way to go. In fact, um, this one here is the one that I'd suggest that you have a think about, actually. So this is uh, the Osmocote Plus Organic. It's got a bit of a bit of a kick to it, this one. I've, I've been quite impressed with how it performs in my garden, but it's also got uh, a bit of a soil improver in there, and it's um, it's one of those interesting products. It's got the controlled release, the slow release, and a bit of a, a bit of a fast release all in one. So this is going to sustain your plants for a period of time, Michael, and continue that growth. So uh, I think for your passion fruit, I'd be looking at a handful of uh, Osmocote Plus Organics um, this is the all-purpose, but I'm sure they've got some of their specialised versions as well, like this one, and that's probably the one I would go for because that one's designed for vegetables, tomatoes, which are fruit, by the way, and herbs. So I just happen to have those behind me, so hopefully that helps. Michael from Kilmore. Christine, we are not sure where you are from. You've got potato plants popping up from compost. Do they provide edible potatoes? Absolutely, and they should be popping up now and you should end up with a bit of a harvest. So what you do is you wait for the potato plant to grow big and bold. You'll see it producing flowers, and as soon as those flowers start dying off or you start to see yellowing of the plant, um, it's time to reach into the soil and pull out your potatoes, and they'll be the best eating potatoes you've ever had. And we're not sure where you're from. Um, you need to let us know, but this particular question is one that I can relate to. Um, please tell me how to stop earwigs from eating my vegetables that are mulched with hay. We live in a hot, dry country area, and you are really trying to retain the water. You don't want to spray, obviously, near food, which is um, another important thing. So... The thing with the earwigs is that they are a um, they they have a, a shell hard shell for their for a body. So you know when you have a look at them, you can kind of see what they're made of. And interestingly enough, they do not like fine powder. So if you are to dust lightly dust, and you don't want to go putting too much out, but a little bit of talcum powder around the outside edges of your veggies when they walk on, when they start to go near them, um, uh, as they as they cross the ground, they will you will see they will actually head in another direction because it gets into the joints and it's very uncomfortable. Same thing applies to ants and any other of those sort of bugs that are ground-based bugs. So that's going to help with the, with the ones that are moving towards your veggies. The ones that are actually on your veggies at the moment, try a little bit of garlic chilli spray. That should help um, get them to move away for a while. And if you've got the... Um, if you've got the, the um, talcum powder on the ground, you'll find that you won't see too many of them. So nice natural solution. I hope that helps, Anne. Jamie's in Geelong in Victoria. Hi, Jamie. I want a fruit plant that climbs to cover an exterior wall, but it's on a paved area. Is there a fruit tree that grows on a steel garden bed? Sinking in a passion fruit plant, but the roots are too large. So passion fruit plants, roots are not that significant. So you certainly will be in a position where uh, you could use passion fruit. You could also use something like choco, which is uh, 
is uh, deciduous. So during the summer, it's going to die. Uh, sorry, during the winter, it's going to die back down. During the summer, it's going to grow very fast and cover that that area. And of course, in the the late autumn, you will end up in a situation where you have lots and lots of uh, of fruit as well. So choco, uh, passion fruit, they're two really good ones. Kiwi fruit in Geelong would do very well. You could try them as well. Hopefully that helps, Jamie. Uh, Marcia, I'm not sure where you're from. The, what's the best fertiliser for magnolias? I've been giving them dynamic lifter in the autumn or early spring. Look, dynamic lifter is pretty good, but to be quite honest, controlled release fertilisers are the best things for magnolias. You can have a look at these guys. How beautiful is this? I literally grabbed them this morning from our magnolias. There's three or four different types in here and they are just magnificent. And the perfume, the fragrance from them is intoxicating. I use controlled release. So I'm constantly uh, using that product to get nice, consistent, steady growth. So you can see it right there, folks. Uh, Osmocote Plus Organics. It's had two plugs this morning. It's a pretty good, uh, pretty good run for it. But it is the sort of fertilizer you should be using. And right now, your plants are growing, and when they're producing masses of flower like this, they're using and expending huge amounts of energy. You have to replace that in the soil. It just doesn't automatically pop up. So, um, with highly productive plants like this, those kinds of fertilizers are ideal because they're consistent. It's not about lots and lots of nutrient all at once, it's about consistent nutrient supply. Uh, Sarah, again, unknown, please tell us where you are from, folks, what state um, and certainly what um, what town or, or suburb that you're in. It does make a difference and I can help you a little bit better. You've got so many snails and slaters uh, with all the rain around at the moment, Sarah, so I'm assuming you're probably in Melbourne. Um, what can I use to stop them from eating my baby seedlings? And they will go for your baby seedlings. And I just mentioned before talcum powder, but if you've got lots of rain around, the talcum powder is not that good. Now, um, with snails, uh, there's a few things that you can do. So copper sprays are always a good thing. It tends to be quite effective in controlling slaters as well. Now, slaters are a crustacean and snails are a mollusk. So they're both not insects as such um, in the true sense. So um, this is a good way to do it. So bluestone, so you can actually buy bluestone, which is a copper stone, uh, and crush it and spread it around and create a, a, a barrier. Um, if you've got them in pots, you can buy copper bands that you can wrap around the pots as well. That should really help stopping those guys eating your baby seedlings. I've got a great comment from Sue Ellen. Uh, hello, Sue Ellen. I'm loving the animal segments on the Garden Gurus TV show. So am I. Um, they're a lot of fun and we're very fortunate to work with the team at Cavisham Wildlife Park. What you probably don't know, Cavisham Wildlife Park's about <clears throat> 25 minutes out of um, the city of Perth. Uh, it's a family-run business and um, they've got a great team of people, a lot of fascinating creatures there, and I'm very lucky to have uh, Debbie Thorne Morley join me this morning. Hi, Deb. How are you? Hi, Trevor. I'm well, thank you. How are you? Good. Who have you got with you? This is June. June is a June. little agile wallaby. Oh, and June's all snuggled up keeping warm this morning. She is. It's a bit cold here in Perth this morning, so we're, we're snuggling, aren't we, June? Mm, she looks quite quite comfortable. I'm surprised you haven't got a wombat on your lap. Normally there's there's a wombat <laughs> snuggled up to you, Deb. What's going on? Well, you know, I'm, I'm in this boring office with you this morning, and so I thought I'd better have something <laughs> cute and fluffy. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Tell me a little bit. We, we've caught up um, 
obviously uh, progressively filmed a series of stories at Cavisham. Tell me a little bit about Cavisham Wildlife Park. So we're, um, we're based in Perth, Western Australia. Um, we're in our 33rd year. We have um, about 200 different species of, of native animals here at the park that we look after, and that um, mm -hmm. comes to about 2,000 actual mounds to feed. Wow. So all of your all of your all of your good stuff, all the koalas and the Tassie devils and the wombats, of course, and yep. um, and some lesser known um, wildlife as well. So You're we're, doing um, some we're, all, we're, we're all about the interaction. So we you know we want to make sure that people get to to get nice and close to the animals and and feed some and have a feel of some and get some photos with some. Um, mm. You know, it's all about if you can have a really great encounter with wildlife, then it might open your eyes to how you can protect them and and as we're talking about, coexist harmoniously with them. Yeah, as, as I was about to say, it's one of the great things you guys do is this this education element is a really important thing. And too often when we're in the suburbs, um, we forget that the the where we live was once bushland, was once a natural environment for these animals. And whatever remnants of those original populations still exist, they're desperate generally for habitat. And so we can play a part in our own backyards by creating the right habitat for these animals if we just know what we're doing. And, and that's the great work that you guys do and which is why we've been working together on this particular um, project. Tell me a little bit about um, the, the different species at the moment. So I, I sat down on my, my um, I've got a deck and I've got a big timber table on the deck and I sat down yesterday just quietly sort of before the storm came in and was just sitting there listening to music and suddenly I noticed I had a half a dozen skinks running around on the, on the table because it was nice and warm and they were soaking up the last remnants of the sun for the day. Um, snakes and lizards are things that we see a lot of this time of the year in home gardens, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, as you've said, we are in their territory. Yep. Um, chances are if you've got a nice warm spot in your garden, you've probably already got some reptiles living there. Mm. Um, and, you know, we do often, we often hear about how can I get rid of them? You know, we, we don't want to get rid of them. We want to live harmoniously with them. Um, yeah. and, and chances are those, those snakes or, or lizards that you've had in your, you've got in your garden have probably been there. For a while, year after year, you know, and they're just going about their business um, without any intention to harm. So, you know, we want to make sure that we repay the favour and not harm them. I had a, um, I had a lady riding on the weekend um, and it was about, uh, she was literally riding in to say she's got uh, a huge number of, of, um, of skinks in her garden at the moment and, and what does she do about it? And um, I, I was I haven't responded back, but I mean, the first thing is you should celebrate it because you're very fortunate to have them. This is my view on this, but they they're they're there and and populations exist um, in larger numbers because they've got a food source, right? So you know, Mother Nature is a wonderful way of of getting the numbers right because basically um, we only exist if we've got food to sustain us, and um, in this case. She must, they must be in there eating insects and, and other things. So potentially any harm that she may have in her veggie patch, for example, is being controlled because she's got a good population of skinks. Absolutely. And as you say, it is something to be celebrated. She's got a perfect mm. garden. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's 
this is something you and I have talked about a lot. But when you when you have a, a home garden in this environment and 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 this all these animals that are coexisting with you, it's it's a pretty healthy environment too. So it's not just healthy for them, but it's actually it's saying that that the environment that we're living in is healthy for us too, right? Absolutely, and the, you know, there's not a lot of that left. Mm. You know, if we can do our bit, um, the animals will thank us for it. And, and look, you know, um, urban expansion, land clearance, all these things are, are playing a pretty significant um, and and throwing climate change. Mm-hmm. They're all having a pretty significant impact on on many of our natural um, natural. Uh, existing animals that that would once have lived in our home garden environment. So things like like skinks and lizards and and snakes, if you do have them in your garden, what are things that you could do to to I suppose keep them healthier? You know, to make sure that they do have the things that they need. Um, look, we can we can easily provide protection for them. Um, you know, rocks and and logs and things like that are, are, are super easy um, mm-hmm. to include in our garden. Um, you know, fresh water is hugely beneficial um, and keeping our pets away, you know, making sure that we are responsible pet owners and not yep. allowing our cats yeah. and our dogs to access these wild animals. We have a huge problem um, with our domestic animals interfering with our wildlife. So, mm. you know, if, that, if, if, if we only do one thing, that should be number one. Cats in particular can be um, horrendous predators and, and particularly reptiles and amphibians, um, they tend to be the ones that, that suffer the most. So getting control of, of those, look, fine to have a cat, but um, keep it in at night, um, trying, you know, try and make sure that, you know, when it's active in the day that it's not out hunting birds and things like that. That's, that's the important thing, isn't it? Absolutely. It's, you know, it's not the cat's fault. They're just doing mm. what cats do. You know, it's yep. the human's fault. Mm. Um, and it's, it's relatively easy and inexpensive these days to have a cat run, to put a cat run mm. in your garden. They yeah. are brilliant. Um, you know, and, and there's lots of companies out there uh, that will come and do them if you're not a DIY kind of person. Yeah. Um, but, you know, yeah. that's a perfect solution. The cats are happy, um, the humans are happy, and, and obviously the wildlife are happy. One of the things that I noticed at Cavisham, and it's it's obviously a very important thing, I'm very fortunate to have a good water supply on my property, but um, not everybody does. Clean water is a very important thing, having a good water source for, for whether it be, you know, little tiny skinks or, you know, whether it's a source of, of, of moisture for bees and for birds and for everything else. It's a good idea to have those water sources around, isn't it? For sure. And, and again, it's, it's simple to do, you know, it's really Mm. easy. Um, Remembering also to, you know, have a, depending on what your water source is, having something in there that animals can use to get out so they don't end up drowning in there as well. So whether it just be a stick, um, you know, something, again, it obviously depends on the size of the water source, but something that enables them to, to be able to get out safely. Yeah, so I I tend to find if I've got bowls or anything like that, I I tend to find a brick in the middle of it that's standing at at just at the the height of the water um, is always a a little safety point for them if they um, if they do end up getting stuck in there. But these things are really important. I know with the with so I've got uh, bird baths, I've got a couple of water features. Um, The water features are easy in and out, so that's not really a problem. Um, Bird baths tend to be a little bit deeper. And uh, it's fine for the birds flying in and out and so on. But um, 
when I first set it up, I actually found that I had uh, quite a few insects, particularly bees, um, drowned. They would they'd yeah. just get sucked into the deeper end and they can't swim. So I, I just put a few sticks in around the outside. It's it, You wouldn't even notice it, to be quite honest, but it gives them a point to climb in and out if they do end up in the water. Absolutely. I've even um, I had a friend recently who was... Uh, you know, repotting some of her plants, and she left some 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 of her pots out um, on a on a weekend when she wasn't quite finished. And she mm-hmm. came back the next day, and a frog had actually drowned. You know, it was wow. too deep, and the, so the frog had gone in and wasn't. It was a Couldn't glass canister, and it wasn't able to get back out again. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, so these these are things. I suppose water is very important, but um, being careful how we set it up. When when we uh, when we filmed out there, one of the things that's really evident um, in the environments that you've created for for the various animals is you're using a lot of native grasses. Um, you do provide rocks in there. Rocks are a great source, um, not not just for something to hide under, but to sun yourself, particularly for for you know the reptiles. They love getting there and sunning themselves and. So they're really important. A lot of people take logs away and, and um, send them off to, you know, off to landfill or, you know, chop them up and burn them or do other things with them. But, of course, that's a, that's a really significant um, waste of a resource because logs are a great shelter for, for birds, for reptiles, for, you know, all sorts of animals to, to gain protection. Absolutely. And, and you know, the, a decent-sized log will actually form a, a hollow as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, for animals like our possums, mm-hmm. um, you know, if, it's, if we're providing a, a nesting site or a hollow, um, it's perfect. Yeah. Well, the, the um, no. possums is probably one of the questions that we um, that we get asked a lot about, and that's why we did a story on them. They are they're a wonderful animal, but not if they get into your roof, they can be a little bit disruptive. So, um, trying to set yourself up environments um, that that are sort of set back is always a good idea with those sorts of things. And I suppose that's the whole idea of doing um, doing these sessions on the Garden Gurus is hopefully we're giving people some inspiration to set their garden up the right way so we can coexist and that they can exist in our environment we can exist in their environment um, because it's better for all of us, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think you, you hit the nail on the head there that we are in their environment. Mm. They were there first. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of, of those animals that were there first, snakes, um, there's a lot starting to appear. A lot of people get nervous with snakes around. If you do find a snake in your backyard, what's the best way to um, to go around dealing with it? So, look, we're, you know, we're, we want to promote that it's probably just going about its business without yep. any intention to cause any harm. So we want to make sure that we that we do the same in return, um, keep our pets away. If we're, you know, if people are worried, then they need to contact their local snake removal person. Yeah. Um, but if they're happy, if they're happy to just accept the fact that that is living in their garden for good reason, that they're providing mm-hmm. an excellent garden for that snake, then, you know, it's just, it's keeping our pets and of course our kids away as well. And knowing that it, it's actually probably pretty friendly, you know, it's probably yeah. a pretty safe snake yeah. to have around. Um, and snakes generally, um, they'll, they'll they'll head in the other direction if you're, um, you know, if you're nearby. So you, they, they, it's not that they want to interact with you. And of course, um, no. one of the single biggest um, uh, questions that we constantly get asked here at the Garden Guru is, is about controlling rodents. You know, we've got a big problem with mice around, um, or or rats in, you know, getting into the roof and and active in around uh, the house. Um, and of course, snakes are probably the ultimate um, controller of those things. So if you can, if you can have a snake where it's not coming, you know, you're not coming into contact with each other. Um, you're probably going to find, 
you know those those imported those those pests that we really don't want will suddenly come under control. Absolutely, they're, they're, they're the ultimate pest control. Um, they'll certainly keep your rodents down, which is great. Deb, it's been fantastic catching up and um, thank you so much for your support of the Garden Gurus and all the effort you've put in with all of your team out there at Cavisham Wildlife to help us um, film and tell some positive stories about how we can all coexist together. Uh, and thanks for joining us this morning. And, and I'm looking forward to seeing our, our next edition this coming weekend. Excellent. Thanks so much for having us again, Trevor. Thanks. No worries. Garden Express are Australia's leading mail order gardening service, offering a wide range of quality garden products. Each week on the Garden Gurus Live, the team at Garden Express will share a weekly offer. So make sure after today's show, you jump online and visit their website. Great catching up. Deb is... Devon, it's, it's a family business, Cavisham Wildlife Park, and that's the thing that I love the most about it. They've got a great team of people who are really passionate um, about education, about caring for these beautiful animals. There's breeding programs, there's research going on. They do great work out there. And that was one of the reasons why we wanted these stories on the Garden Gurus. And we've had so much positive feedback. So thanks very much to Deb and, and the two Davids and the whole team out at Cavisham. It's been great. What we'll do is I know you have been piling your questions in like crazy, so I think i better better start uh, moving through some of them. And please remember, if um, when you do, tell us where you're from. All the current ones I can see in the list from all over the country are listing where you're from, which is great. Thank you. And if you like what we're talking about, if you like what we're doing, um, then please um, hit the like button. It's that easy. Now, Let's move on. Lauren is in Ethelton in South Australia. It's coming from the Garden Express Facebook page too. Is it too late to sow cucumber seeds this season? No, it's not. I just sowed some on the weekend myself and uh, that's my second lot. So I've got a, a three-week delay between crops. So I should have a steady supply of cucumbers running right through the summer months. So now's the time to get them in. Well done, Lauren. Linda is in Hobart. My newly planted petunias are being eaten. Surely it can't be snails as they're in a wall planter. Um, slight signs of snail trails and lots of holes. It's probably slugs. Um, they tend to be uh, a lot more active moving up the walls. Um, so I would suggest that it is. And I mentioned before, uh, snails and slugs are mollusks and mollusks have no tolerance of copper. So using um, you know a bit of bluestone or a bit of a copper spray, or because they're in a planter, you can even use those um, copper um, ex, ex, um, exclusion bands is the word I was thinking of. They're all really handy. So check out your local garden centre, have a chat with them. Linda, hopefully that helps. Joe is in Melbourne. Hello, Joe. Um, how can I improve my beetroot crop? The best I can achieve is golf ball size and would love to be able to grow bigger. All right. Trick with beetroot. I've got the most amazing crop that I'm about to harvest at home myself. Um, and the trick with them, without doubt, is to make sure that you are planting them into a soil that is rich, and I mean really rich, in compost. So ideally homemade compost is a good way to go, but if you ha haven't got it and you can bring it in, um, lots of organics in that soil when you plant them, and you will find that um, they, they will naturally be bigger. Um, one of the things that you'll find is if you're planting seeds, multiple seeds in a group, or alternatively putting in seedlings and there's three or four plants, that, um, that they will be smaller in, when they're growing in groups. If you can break them up at the seed stage and have individual plants, um, 
growing quite close to each other but not against each other, you'll end up in a situation where um, the uh, the size of, of the, the bulb that you're getting is probably double to triple what you're currently experiencing, Joe. So there's that. And there's also a little bit of feeding going on there. This is a, one of those crops where um, – uh, a higher P and a higher K in your fertilizer mix really does make a difference. So I'll, I'll give you, I went back, um, I showed this earlier on, but something like this is absolutely brilliant. So this is the Osmocote Plus Organics. And um, it's it's a really interesting uh, fertilizer combination of controlled release, slow release in an organic form, which improves the quality of the soil. It's got wetting agents. It's got seaweed and blood and bone. Um, it really is the all-round thing. If you're going to feed them, try feeding them with that. That will really make a big difference. Okay, Matelka is in Sydney and again coming through the Garden Express Facebook page this morning. How can I encourage more uh, wig, wig wagtails? I think you mean willy wagtails um, in my Sydney backyard. So the thing about willy wagtails is they are a beautiful little bird. They are really inquisitive. The key with them is that they are very sensitive to chemicals. So avoiding using chemicals in, in your environment um, is vitally important. In fact, what you'll often find um, is if there's been certain um, certain harsh chemicals, particularly pesticides used, it makes the, the shell wall of the egg uh, very thin and um, they, they basically they can't reproduce. Uh, the eggs will always crack, so the babies never actually get to, to emerge from the egg. So um, avoiding chemicals is the key. Bushy plants, another really important thing. So using bushy shrubs, provides them lots of protection from some of those other birds that are predators of them, things like kookaburras, which will um, each will not only eat willy wagtails, the adults, but um, particularly hunt out the babies as well. So try and give them as much protection as you possibly can. Uh, nice, thick, bushy shrubs, uh, water supply, and no chemicals, and hopefully they'll start to appear and spend more time in your garden. Caroline is in Melbourne. We're getting a lot in Melbourne and Sydney at the moment, which is great. I think you guys in Brisbane need to start getting some questions in. Uh, how far back would you trim your magnolias? They're in a small area, so I don't want them to get out of hand. Look, this is a good question, Caroline. One of the things with magnolias is you can trim them however you like. These evergreen forms are absolutely brilliant when it comes to um, being trimmed and pruned. So you can hedge them, you can let them grow upright, you can pleach them, which is trimming all the bottom off and then trimming the top so you end up with a pleached hedge. There's all sorts of things can be done with these and um, they are one of the absolute delightful plants. If I sound a little nasally, it's because I think I'm being overwhelmed by the perfume of these guys. It, it is just intoxicating and it's a wonderful thing to have in the house if you want to freshen the house up. It's a really good way to go. And speaking of, uh, of Brisbane, moving moving along, Maria's written into us, which is great. Thanks, Maria. You're from Brisbane. It's lovely to have you um, join us. You've got four roses in pots. Most of them are doing well. The blue moon rose, however, does not have the same luck as the other three. I use sudden impact for roses, but it doesn't seem to do anything for the blue moon. Some roses grow better than others. Okay. Um, I am going to show you something. I don't quite have the right type but this this so blue moon really does require regular feeding and this um is the indoor version of the pour and feed from osmocote it's a great fertilizer you don't have to do anything you literally it's all been pre-mixed you just pour it straight into the into the cap 
And then you put that, because these guys are in pots, you put that in around the base of the plant. You can even put it over the foliage. And with your blue moon, I would suggest two caps. Um, there is a flower promoting version of this. So you want to duck into your local, I think it's Bunnings um, sell it, your local Bunnings store, grab yourself um, that version. And I'll guarantee you by the end of the, the bottle, by the time you've done this, if you're doing one cap a week, uh, by the time you've used the whole bottle, your blue moon will be producing lots and lots of flowers. So hopefully that helps Maria in Brisbane. Uh, Christy, oh, we're back over here in WA. Hello, you're in left lane in WA. What is the best thing to feed native frangipani? Mine seems to be getting scale and black on parts of the trunk. Okay, um, two problems there. One is that you've got you obviously got an insect issue there, so scale is is quite a you know, quite a problem at the best of times. But when you're seeing the black, you've got lots of scale and lots of ants. So you, what you want to do is stop the ants from going up and down the tree and you do need to feed it, all right? So you can spray the scale using um, a white oil or a pest oil or a eco oil, one of those um, horticultural oils. They are very effective in smothering out the scale and that'll get control of it. What you don't want is you don't want the ants going back up because they move the scale around, they farm it. And in return for doing that, they get something called honeydew from the scale. It's a sweet, sucrusy substance. And they literally, they, they eat it and they collect it and they get it stuck on their body and they move it around. And that black substance is a, um, is a fungus that's growing off the sugars of that as it's spread across the plant. So it indicates that it's quite a significant problem. Spray with uh, with, with a, a pest oil kind of product, a white oil sort of solution, and uh, and feed them. Just give them a good all-round complete fertiliser. So Osmocote is a good way to go, but there are, there are lots of fertilisers out there that are the all-purpose, and it really doesn't matter. If you've got something in your shed, give it a good all-round all, all fertiliser. And because they're called native frangipani and because they're uh, a native of Australia, doesn't mean that they are necessarily sensitive. So I'm going to, um, to leave that one with you. I think what we should do is I think we should head to Melbourne and catch up with my good mate, Rowan Peterson. Now, Rowan has been um, uh, coming up with some pretty amazing deals and offers for us uh, there out at Garden Express. But, mate, the, we've just shown um, this amazing range of crepe myrtles. Tell me a little bit about the Crepe Myrtle Magic Series. So the Crepe Myrtle Magic Series is a, a semi-dwarf variety, so um, it's not going to grow anywhere near as big as a traditional Crepe Myrtle, um, mm -hmm. probably around 1.8 metres by 1.8 metres. Mm -hmm. um, and there's some fantastic colours in the range. You've got, you've got um, pinks, purples, reds, um, a coral, and even a white there, which are really fantastic and make a stunning feature tree. These are these are a um, an interesting plant because um, crepe myrtles come in you know everything from a, a little tiny dwarf form through to mid-sized shrub through to quite large trees and the the variation in crepe myrtles tends to be that some of them are quite susceptible to uh, powdery mildew to the to the the mildew that you'll see on the foliage that can affect the look of the tree. But there's been so much breeding done and probably the, the number one breeder or, or certainly introducer of new varieties, I should say, that are 
disease resistant is Fleming's Nursery. Um, yeah. they, they do a lot of work on things like making sure that it's the right size, you know, grows the right shape, that it's producing as floriferous, that it's producing lots and lots of flower, and that it's disease resistant. And this is this range, this this um, Magic series, I noticed, is one of their releases. That's one that they've launched. It is, and they're just around the corner, and and it is resistant to powdery mildew, which is great, and other pests. Um, and you know they've they've done a lot of work in in the breeding process. Um, so yeah, they're 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 just around the corner from us, Flemings. We we do a yep. lot with. Um, I think we've also just got some um, endless summers hydrangeas as well, just in uh, which wow. are kind of as well. So you know, top quality plants. Um, mm. you know, one things Flemings do incredibly well is is. Uh, is, is their plants and trees so um, we're looking we're, we're looking at bonnie at the moment um planting some of these up and just demonstrating how beautiful and compact they are that this is a terrific plant for putting into pots but um it's also a plant that you could use to create a mini hedge an informal hedge for example so you could pick one color or you could pick multiple colors plant them in rows and create wonderful little mini hedges or informal borders um they're just such a dynamic plant. Now, for those people who, who don't know, crepe myrtles, um, they originate, there's a, quite a few different species, but the indicas originate from China and, and uh, some forms found in India. But the work that's been done on them um, in the last 50 years or so in the US, which is I think where this range comes from, yeah. is unbelievable. They really have done a huge amount of breeding work to improve the shape and the form. And that's where um, Fleming's, you know, they act as the introducer of many of these varieties. And um, to be able to, to get them here in WA and, and such a you know brand new release is a, is a real good opportunity for people who are looking for those beautiful crepe flowers that these, these plants have. Mate, um, you've got, what, six different colours at the moment and they're sold in, what, a 200 mil pot? 200 mil, so you're getting quite an established tree, like you saw Bonnie planting there on the yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a decent size, ready to go straight into the garden or, or into the pot like Bonnie's just done, um, and they will, yeah, they will be a stunner for, for years it, to come. In a 200 mil pot, they'd normally be around about the 40 buck mark in a, in a garden centre. What, yeah. what can you guys do for our viewers today to try and um, make it a little bit more appetising for them? So I've been given permission to take 20% off the price. So these will be just over 30 bucks, $31.90. Wow. Um, uh, delivered directly to your door, obviously, um, freight not included, but um, uh, in, the, in that price. But, uh, yep. yeah, six to choose from. All you need to do is head over to the website, um, www.gardenexpress.com.au. There's a banner right there on the front page. Click on that. Go take you straight to the options. Terrific. Uh, look, it's a great thing about Garden Express is that it is your online garden centre delivering direct to your door, as you pointed out. Um, mate, the the thing uh, on the – I was very fortunate. You must pass my thanks on to David, but I received uh, – my bulbs all arrived last week and uh, I spent the weekend planting um, the, la or the last of your crop of hippie astrums, so I managed to get my hands on some of those finally. And yeah. – um, and was putting putting a whole bunch of Santa Tejas and stuff like that into my into my garden, the Keller lilies. And um, this is the thing: is that you guys are the one stop shop for pretty much everything with um, with gardening. So, as far as getting your hands on a whole range of different things, you've got a huge catalogue of plants and and also garden products available. Um, tell me, 
there, there's I don't know how you actually deal with it because I've been obviously been out to to your facility in Monbulk. It's a, an amazing nursery, and it's a um, it's a very very good um, collection of different types of plants that you're constantly obviously you've got your crew going out picking, bringing back in, packing them all up, ready for transport around the country. How do people get a, a better insight into all the different plants? Because you've got a massive range. Um, best way to do is jump onto the website. We've got we've got plenty of uh, growing guides for all the different things that we uh, that we offer there. Um, I, uh, yeah, website's full of information and, okay. and direct links to the to the products. We are seasonal, um, so you know we've wrapped up our um, our bulb season as you mentioned. You've just the um, and then leading into Christmas, what we um, we're also doing is we we've got a massive plant clearance on at the moment, so we we're clearing um, yeah the remainder of our plants ready for um, the heat of the summer. Obviously, we stop shipping you know around mid December um, mm-hmm. until you know depending on when the girls come back. Um, you know mid early to mid uh, January is when we pick it up again. So yep. what, we, what we've got on at the moment is we've got a massive clearance for, for pretty much all of our remaining plants. Um, okay. So this um, is a good time to, to, to go online and save save some dollars, right? Definitely jump on. You know, we're save, you're saving anywhere between 20 and 50% on those plants. Wow. And, and, yeah, like I said, it's pretty much our remaining range for the year. Uh, there's plenty there still to go, but they did sell pretty fast over the weekend. So if you're wanting to, to take advantage, definitely get online soon. Okay, mate. Well, look, I uh, think I'll be doing that because um, I've still got a few gaps left in my garden that I haven't planted up. So I'll um, I'll put a few more of the Garden Express plants in. That's um, fantastic. Thanks, Perfect. Rowan. It's good, always good to catch up. Yep. Always a pleasure, Trevor. Um, we'll catch up with you next week. Okay. And folks, if you want to get your hands on, I, I would imagine uh, typical of what normally happens, um, those beautiful crepe myrtles, um, if you want to get your hands on them, now is probably the time to uh, jump online and and get your order in because they never last. They always take off. Thanks, Rowan. We'll see you next week. This show is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Evergreen Garden Care. Evergreen Garden Care and their market-leading brands are some of the most trusted consumer brands within the garden care market. They produce high-quality garden care products designed to help people create their own green oasis whether it's a garden, a balcony or potted indoor plants. They want to inspire anyone, anywhere to be able to easily create and maintain their own garden. To find out more about Evergreen Garden Care, head to www.lovethegarden.com. Now, plant of the week. Um, we're going to have an, I'm going to catch up with Luke Williams in a second from Love the Garden, but just before we do, I just wanted to show you these. And, and there's a few different varieties here, and you can see I'm going to show you the leaf. No, I'm going to take that leaf off because I've got this just a little bit too far away. Um, so there's a few different types of evergreen magnolia. This is Magnolia grandiflora. It's a variety that um, comes from sort of the southern part of North America. You'll find them growing there as huge trees. But the breeding in this space um, in the last 20 years has been amazing. And we've got all these incredible varieties coming through. So it probably all started with Little Gem, which is quite an upright form. Um, this particular one, so this one, I can't see my Little Gems, but there was a Little Gem somewhere in there. Um, little Gem um, is one that probably most people would know. Great hedging plant, great screening plant if you've got a 
you know, a neighbour with a tall house or something like that on your back fence, planting these across your back fence will give you a great, beautiful, evergreen, glossy screen. Um, but there are a few other varieties. This one is the one that I wanted to show you, and you can see it's called Teddy Bear. And it's because of that brown hair underneath the, the, the glossy green leaves, um, it's a beautiful, beautiful, large flower, incredibly fragrant. These guys are just intoxicating. And this is the time to be planting your magnolias out um, in the garden because they really do. Oh, and I'm probably creating a problem here because I'm hitting the microphone as I'm talking <laughs> and spinning. But um, they really do put on a show and um, mine are just booming. So I've picked flowers, um, had them in the house, um, like wonderful, wonderful fragrance throughout the home. Uh, the garden is full of flowers. I've probably got or 10 or so beautiful big magnolias, uh, three different varieties, and they are just a highlight. And they're one of the easiest care plants that you can grow. So if you're looking for something that's almost indestructible, um, that produces huge, huge flowers that are wonderfully fragrant and tends to flower during the warmer months. So that sort of latter part of, of, the, of the spring period into early summer, they really do produce masses and masses of colour uh, or, or, or certainly um, flower. Uh, this is the ones, these are the ones you should go for. And they, there are sort of slight variations on all of them. So Magnolia grandiflora, you can get the big tree forms still, but some of these new improved varieties are a lot more compact, ideal for smaller gardens. That's my plant of the week. I hope you um, have got some at home. And if you haven't got some at home, I hope you think about putting them in because they really are lovely. And the bees just love mine as well. Now, the single biggest question I think I'm getting at the moment in our um, in our uh, Facebook page uh, messages is from people saying that they've got patches appearing in their lawn. So what we're seeing is a transition. So uh, as the seasons warm up, you'll see grass starts to grow. But a lot of those winter weeds um, will also die off. And this leaves you with patches. So you've got a lovely dark green um, lawn with lots of little white patches where, where these weeds have died off. This is the time that you would think about oversowing with a grass seed to green it up. And um, that's been probably something that very few of us have done enough of when we're looking to get that lovely, lovely, consistent green look on our lawns. Now, with the entertaining season upon us and friends coming over, you don't want to have a lawn full of patches. You want to have a lawn that looks lush and green. So, Oversowing is a really good way to go. Now, I've asked Luke Williams from Love the Garden to join us. Luke, good morning to you. How, how are you going? Well, it's afternoon there. Yeah, good afternoon, Trevor. Yeah, really well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. No, thanks for joining us. It, it, this is a, a significant problem for people once they get control of the of the weeds and if they're able to eradicate, they've got their weed and feed out, they've eradicated the, the broader leaf weeds and maybe some of the bindies died off as well, um, and then suddenly they've got these patches. You guys have got a good solution. You've, you've developed this range of custom grass seeds, haven't you? Yeah, that's right. So we've just bought out uh, a new range what you've just mentioned there, uh, Scott's custom grass seeds, and it couldn't really be any easier. So we've designed it to be um, as, as easy can be for the consumer. So basically when they're standing in front of a lawn bay uh, and trying to decide what type of grass they want, the way this is marketed is, is very, very simple. So we've got uh, three varieties. We have what we call the relaxed variety. So if you're looking for a low-maintenance type of lawn situation, you would you would yep. grab your box of relaxed. Um, we have our tough variety, so for hard-wearing 
you know, uh, weather resistant uh, grass, we'd go for the tough. And then we've got our awesome seeds. So if you just want an awesome looking lawn, um, making it look green and lush, then you'd go for a box of the awesome. These are all seed blends. So they're blends of a, a combination of different seeds. And yep. the best part about it is they're actually designed um, as to the climate they're grown in. So uh, what I'd buy here in Melbourne, I'm based in Melbourne, uh, I'd, I bought myself a box of, uh, of awesome in Melbourne. The seed yep. blend in that particular box would be different than the seed blend if I bought that same box in Queensland. So they're actually really custom design blends. Right. So you, you've you've changed the seed mix. So awesome uh, regardless if you're buying it in Queensland, it's the right seeds for a Queensland or a West Australian environment. Um, but, but the same box will have cool season grass varieties for the Melbourne market. That's correct. So... So basically, we've divided it into into cool and warm climates, and and if you were to think of a map of Australia, cool climate basically takes down that uh, you know bottom eastern part of Australia. So yep. basically, most of Victoria and Tasmania, and a decent patch of New South Wales, and the rest is actually what what would classify as warm climate. So using mm-hmm. awesome as the example, uh, in our cool climates uh, blend would have things like Kentucky bluegrass, uh, perennial ryegrass, and fescues, but then in yep. our warm Climate, we'd have bluegrass, ryegrass, and cooch grass. So um, yeah. they're really designed to grow exactly where those climates allow them to get the best results. So, um, how, what's the best way to apply these? Is it literally it's just top sowing? So, do you break the surface of the soil up where you're um, where you're over sowing? Is that the the goal? Yep. So, so with this variety, you can you can grow a brand new lawn with it, or you can over sow. Um, yep. And look, the key to any any nice lawn and any lawn repair is comes down to the preparation. If you if you prepare it properly, you're going to have great success. And with preparing any lawn, particularly for seed, um, you definitely want to dig up that those areas uh, to at least five to ten centimeters, loosen that soil right off. It gives those little lawn seeds somewhere to bed in. Um, and if you're not prepared to dig, at least uh, you'll have to then put something like a, a nice organic topsoil on, uh, and then apply the seed. So preparation is definitely key. Um, if you prepare it right and then apply the seed, uh, you can either obviously apply by hand or using a spreader. Um, we would always say to try and use a spreader. You'll get a nice coverage rate with that. Um, you're going to get the best result. Okay. That, when you, you said topsoil, so in some cases um, people have got sort of, uh, you know, heavy clays or harder compacted soils, you could actually in those patches literally top dress using uh, some kind of organic soil improver. Is that the recommendation? Yeah, that's right. So we've actually just uh, released a new product as well. Our, our Performance Naturals range now has a lawn top dress. Um, oh. So that's an organic-based top dress, um, which is obviously going to, to help enrich the soil and boost the soil profile. So particularly for sandy areas like WA, um, yep. obviously boosting that profile with organic matter is going to be uh, really advantageous when you're doing lawn. So uh, any type of uh, organic top dress like that, again, trying to loosen off that surface and then and mixing it through, but at least uh, you know a centimetre um, layer at minimum of a nice uh, organic top dress, and applying the seeds, you're going to start to uh, to get really nice results. Mm. So I know obviously the Perth Sandplain would be the perfect um, place to be using this, but um, Mornington Peninsula, I've got friends out there that have got incredibly sandy soil. Um, Northern beaches in Sydney, um, and certainly you know the Sunshine Coast and certain patches in in Queensland, straight off the top of my head that yeah. this would be the product you would use in conjunction um, with this custom grass seed that you've developed. 
Yeah, that's right. The other really cool feature of the custom grass seed is it's actually a coated seed. Um, so coated means that it's actually gone through a process where instead of having just the lawn seed itself, it's actually coated in calcium carbonate. So what that does is it actually helps the germination of the seed by retaining a lot more of the moisture. And the right. uh, coating itself actually uh, deters pests as well. So the ants and the birds and, and whatnot tend to stay away from a coated seed uh, rather than your normal lawn seed where they tend to, to run off with. So the coated seed as well will help uh, the germination rate and actually yep. help keep the seed in the right place. So you'll, you'll get a nice result with the custom seeds. You, you actually, you raise a really interesting point in that for those of us that have, have tried this in the past and then noticed that um, that there's a lot of ant activity around, if you're putting seed down, ants will take them and they'll store them underground in their nest and use them as a food source. So um, you, you don't realise that uh, you're giving up a lot of the seed that you're laying out to ants if um, if you're not careful. So the coated seeds make such a big difference. And this is um, very typical of uh, Love the Garden, of, of the, the, the Scots range of products broadly. So Osmocote and Defender and everything else, these are professional standard um, products that are bought to the domestic market. So coated seed is a practice that professional turf growers use um, when they're growing stuff from seed. This is so. This is something where you've gone, okay, well, look, the problems in the past have been that they weren't coated and therefore, you know, there's a, a large loss of that seed mass. Um, the way to, to solve that is to do what the professionals do. Let's take it to market and make it available to the domestic garden market. And it, it means that people just get great results every time, doesn't it? That's right, and it's and, and lawn seed is one of those one of those areas where people generally go uh, to purchase lawn seed not really knowing what they need and what they want to purchase. Mm. Uh, so trying to make it a, a solution based as possible that they're going to get the best results straight away is obviously really important in the development of this product. So yep. um, yeah, the coated grass seed is definitely the way forward, uh, and and absolutely makes a massive difference to the success of the lawn. Well, mate, um, Luke, you've done a great job. Lawn Builder Custom Grass Seed, it is going to be a, um, a bit of a game changer, I reckon, for a lot of people who have got patches or are thinking about growing a new lawn from, from, uh, from seed. It's a good way to go. Uh, if people want to check out a little bit more information, they can do so on your Love the Garden website. Yep, 100%. So the range is there uh, on Love the Garden and it's available now uh, at Bunnings. So you can also check it out on the Bunnings website as well. You've done a great job, mate. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thanks very much, Trevor. Good to see you. All right. Have a good day. Have a good week. Well, we've we've been um, getting inundated by, uh, well, by your questions. They're coming in left, right and centre. But before I get to answering them, um, I think we might just give you a little bit of an insight into what's coming up this weekend. This is the RMI 632P, which is perfect for those on a larger block. And when we say large, we mean large. They're long lasting and reusable, so they are the perfect addition to the garden shed. Now, amphibians, particularly frogs, I reckon, are one of the great indicators of environmental health. The beauty of these plants are their wonderful flowers and they come in all sorts of colours. Uh, 
That looks like a great show, doesn't it? You don't want to miss it. It's this coming Saturday on Channel 9. Now, check your local guides because the time does vary uh, between states at the moment. There's lots of other programming that we dance around the outside of, but uh, we're very grateful to Channel 9 for supporting us. It's been a long and very productive relationship and uh, we we love bringing the Garden Gurus to you each year as we do. Um, springtime is such a good time. We only have, I think, maybe three to four episodes left to go in this series. So um, make sure you check it out. Make sure you haven't missed it. And, of course, if you want to see any past episodes, easiest way to do it, go online, ninenow.com.au or check out our website as well. Okay, I promised you I would answer your questions. They are coming in thick and fast. So let's, um, let's, we've got about six or seven minutes. Let's fly through them and see how many we can do. Samantha is in Mount Gambia in South Australia. Hi, Sam. Um, is it true you can put your weeds into your compost bin? If so, do you get more weeds because of it? Well, the answer is no. So the idea with compost is to superheat um, that in the process of breaking it down. And in doing that, you'll burn off nine times out of 10, you'll burn off diseases. You'll also burn off weed seeds. So um, throwing weeds into the bin is fine, and even if you do get a little bit of regeneration of weeds occasionally in the garden bed, the benefits of composting those organics and putting them back into your soil far outweigh any of the negatives. Joyce is in Wangala in South Australia. We've got two in South Australia, which is fantastic. Well done. Um, what is the best fertiliser for a stellar cherry tree? Well, my Stella has just started delivering fruit. I was nearly going to bring them in this morning and show you, but uh, they keep disappearing as quickly as we pick them. I'm not sure what's going on. Um, Stella is a beautiful cherry. It really is a great eating cherry, and it's one of those two or three varieties. I think Morello, Stella, and Bing are probably the most successful varieties you can grow um, pretty much in any capital city in Australia, with the exception of Darwin and possibly Brisbane. Um, they really will grow well, but they do need to be fed and they do need regular water supply. So um, when you apply fertiliser, you want to apply something that's got a bit of organics in it and ideally a bit of longevity as well. So I've been talking, I've been showing this one quite consistently, but this is that Osmocote Plus Organics. And um, this is a specific blend for uh, vegetables, tomatoes, and herbs. Um, they have specific blends for trees. I would suggest you would want something like three to four handfuls for a medium size stellar cherry tree choice. Um, really good product. So um, if you want to get great results, got to use a great fertilizer. Theta is in Brisbane. Hello, my poor, poor tree is struggling. Most of the fruit is good, but they've got a couple of dots appearing that I can't eat. Okay. I'm I'm thinking that you're going to tell us that you've got a bit of fruit fly in there possibly. That's um, It is possible. At the moment, um, my pawpaw, I picked uh, a couple of them not that long ago uh, from my pawpaw tree, which struggled through the winter because we're a lot cooler. And um, the trees are now just starting to come out with the hot, warm weather and they'll recover and take off in the next few weeks. With regards to yours, what I would suggest is one – I would give the trees a really good soak with seaweed extract. That's around the base of the roots to ensure that the tree is strong and healthy. I, I'm a really big believer in providing really good fertilizer for plants. If you give them a really complex diet, you'll find that they'll grow really well and they tend to resist most of the diseases. 
but a pest like fruit fly needs to be treated. And the best thing you can do there is to use fruit fly exclusion bags. So you can put that around the outside and that'll stop those dots appearing on the fruit. I'm pretty sure that's what your your challenge is, Theta. And um, fruit fly exclu- exclusion bags, you can get them online. You can probably get them from Garden Express and now's the time to do it. Tyson, hello Tyson, you're in Baronia in Victoria. Great to have you join us. Do I have any tips for planting pumpkin seeds? I planted a whole heap of them on the weekend. I'm going to have a lot of pumpkins, watermelons, and honeydew and rock melons. Um, they are all really good plants to grow. The trick with them, if you really want to get a good result, is you take the seed, get yourself a, a glass, a bit like this, um, pop the seed in the bottom, and then put hot water, boiling hot water ideally, over the top and let it sit and soak for about an hour or so before you go planting the seed. Then take the seeds out, plant them straight away into the ground. They'll germinate very, very quickly and take off. What you're basically doing is cracking the external hard shell of the seed, which would naturally break anyway with a period of time in the ground, but you're just making it happen a little bit faster so you get very fast germination and your your, uh, pumpkin seed should really take off. Alice is in Wagga in New South Wales. I've got a geranium in a large pot. The leaves are progressively yellowing from the outside, moving inwards. What would this be? It would be rust. Highly likely it's rust. That's usually what happens um, with geraniums this time of the year. Now, there are a couple of fungicides you can use. The best thing you can do, Alice, is head into your local garden centre and ask them what rust fungicide. And when you spray it, you need to actually try and spray up and under. So you get the wand of your sprayer and turn it up like that and spray up under the foliage. It's actually occurring under the foliage, not on top of the foliage. Hopefully that helps. Larry is in the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. How do you kill those large grasshoppers? Well, two bricks is a good way to go, Larry, but you might get tired doing that after a period of time. There are baits. Brand baits tend to be the most effective way to control grasshoppers. You can get them. They are in generally in specialised garden centres. They will tell you which one to, is best to use for your area. But again, head to your local independent garden centre or your local Bunnings store and have a chat to the horticulturalist. You need to talk to the people who know what they're talking about. Let's go to the Upper York Peninsula. Hello, Margaret. It's lovely to have you join us. Can you please suggest what I can plant as a fast-growing hedge to break the wind? It can be pretty fierce up here on the coast. Yeah, coastal conditions can be, and certain plants won't do super well in that. But there's a range of lily pillies. Um, There's a few different types. Um, They make the most amazing windbreak. They're a really good way to do it. The other one that does very well in those conditions are these guys, those magnolias. So evergreen magnolias, planting a hedge of those, um, will look sensational and they will really break the wind up and that's what you're trying to do. So hopefully that helps, Margaret. Rita is in Cairns. We're doing a lot in Queensland at the moment. I recently received a pretty orchid as a present. The flowers are beautiful to begin with, but now you've only got two left. What's the best practice for caring for them? Well, it depends on the type of orchid you've got. It's highly likely this time of the year that the orchid you've been given is a phalaenopsis or a moth orchid. Um, What you do with those is you put them in a brightly lit position that's warm but not direct sunlight. And um, just when you water them, don't water over the foliage. Try and water from the bottom up, so a little tray or saucer underneath. Let it suck the water up from there. Um, It will hopefully produce some more um, shoots from that flower stem. So don't cut the flower stem off. 
because you should get a second run of flowers coming through. Hopefully that helps. A little bit of a little bit of liquid fertilizer. Actually, again, I'm going to go back to that pour and feed. That's pretty good. But there is actually um, another product that's even better. Um, they, they came up with this product called Mist and Feed. This one's for indoor plants. Don't get this one. It'll only encourage growth. But you can actually mist over the foliage with the flowering version of this, which I think is a bright sort of pinkish sort of label, so it's quite a different look. Um, but you literally mist over the foliage and the plant absorbs the nutrient in through the foliage. That'll encourage it to get that second round of flowers coming through. Hopefully that helps. Rita, um, Sujata is in Brisbane. How do I care for my hybrid rose in a pot? Well, you keep fertiliser up to it and you keep moisture up to it. Two really important things. Um, typically a rose in a pot needs to be watered every second day. And the fertiliser, you again, I would suggest to you that you go for a controlled release, something like this, but they do have a flowering form for this as well, I'm sure. Um, but you want the organics and you want the Osmocote. So that's going to sustain really good growth um, of your rose and you should get lots and lots of flowers. The key with roses, feeding when they produce flowers, pruning the flowers off, encouraging them to produce more, give them more food every time you... Every time you go through and deadhead and take old flowers off or spent flowers, make sure you feed them and always keep the moisture up to them. And Sujata in Brisbane, I am sure that you will do very well. Christy is in Lathlane, which is in Perth. Being told that mozzies start developing in plants and can be sprayed. What do you suggest for this, please? Well, um, you might see mozzies getting into the heart of, say, bromeliads. Uh, that's not an unusual thing, uh, but... As a general comment, no, mozzies, are, uh, they need water, so they need to have some water sources. So if you've got buckets sitting around that have water sitting in them, the mozzies will be in there. Um, that's all I can suggest, Christy, because they don't actually start developing plants and you don't want to be spraying uh, your plants randomly for no reason at all. Greg is in Parkerville. We've got two beds of asparagus with approximately 20 crowns. How do I... How deep can I cover the crowns? They're currently around 10 centimetres, but I'd like to add compost and lupin mulch on top. Well, right at the moment, you probably can probably put about 10 centimetres or so, so it's about that much over. You want the plant to be able to grow through quite uh, quite quickly. It's pretty important, actually. So um, don't bury them any deeper than that, whatever you do. Uh, you don't want to just smother them out because that's what happens sometimes. Christine is in Sterling in WA. We've had three in WA. Hello, Christine. You're a big fan of ours and supporter. Thank you so much. I've discovered some seed pods on my crucifix orchid. I'm wondering when they have dried up, what would be the best time to plant out the seed? Warm weather, Christine. That's the time to do it. And it would be really interesting to see what you actually get as a consequence of planting that seed because obviously pollination comes from two parents so there's got to be another plant somewhere there pollinating that, that seed which means you're going to get variation so you might get one or the other parent in in its look but you might end up with something completely new and unique so that's the exciting thing about growing things from seed hopefully you have a bit of love i, I, I should say to you uh, make sure you use a proper um, a seed raising mix. It needs to be really free draining. Uh, initially, you want to put some, maybe some glad wrap over the pot where you lay your seed down on top of the seed raising mix to keep the humidity up near the surface. But as soon as it germinates, that's got to come off and um, then you let your, your plants harden up and get growing. Hopefully that helps, Christine. Makes sense in my head anyway. 
Wow, um, we have run out of time. I can't believe it. It's 10.05. I've gone five past the hour. Um, that's uh, 105 on the East Coast. I'm really sorry if we didn't get to your question today. We're going to do a very special question and answer session in the next couple of weeks for you. We'll do it on a Saturday morning so you can grab a cup of coffee. We can all sit down and spend some time together. Watch this space. Keep your eye on our Facebook page. I out on our Facebook page and we will let you know exactly when that's going to occur. Lachlan has been producing today and he will let our seed winners, our best questions, know who won after today's show. So he'll be messaging you. The Garden Gurus is, of course, back this coming Saturday. We've got four episodes of this season left, so make sure you check us out. We are on Channel 9. Check your local TV guide. Um, 4.30 Saturdays, it should be in most places around the country at the moment. Remember, you can always get more information. It's a great resource by jumping on our website. You can also catch previous stories from the Garden Gurus on our YouTube channel, thegardengurus.tv. And if you enjoyed today's session or if you want to point maybe a friend towards it, we do a live stream. You can catch up, um, sorry, we do a podcast is what I mean, of the live stream. Uh, you can catch up with that on Spotify, on Apple Podcast and Audible, any one of those, and you'll be able to have a bit of a listen to the things we talked about again if there's something that you wanted to follow up. I'm going to be back next Monday. I'm looking forward to doing another session of The Garden Gurus Live with you. It'll be 12 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time and, of course, 9 a.m. for people over here in the West. Oh, it's been busy. I hope you enjoyed today. I'm Trevor Cochran. Happy gardening. Have a wonderful week. The Garden Gurus is back on your screens this weekend. Tune in to 9 and 9 HD this Saturday at 4.30 p.m. across all states.